Get ready for an epic journey into the heart of manhood with Manhood Unveiled. Join Zeth Lee as he guides you through the gripping tales of fatherhood, the resilient bonds of marriage, the roads of vulnerability and overcoming temptation. Brace yourself for an odyssey of growth, connection, unwavering spirit, and faith. This is not just a podcast. This is Manhood Unveiled, where the story of manhood unfolds like never before. Hello and welcome into episode number two of Manhood Unveiled. I am your host, Zeth Lee, and I would like to personally thank you for stopping in for the second episode. So after some thought on what to talk about, I've decided that we're going to dive deep down into my history and my struggles because what kind of podcast would this be for me to talk to you about what I think manhood should be and my my views when it comes to faith and Christianity and things like that, but not tell you about myself and not tell you where I've been and where I've come from and my process through all of that. So we're going to take some time today to just talk about me and I'm going to have to be very vulnerable and just really put myself out there, especially with some things like, um, just, just really good details about what I've done and what I've been through and things that I'm really not proud of. But my hope is that my hope is that the, the shared experience that maybe someone else can, can hear it and say, you know what, I'm in a very similar situation or he's been through all of that, which means I can get through whatever I'm going through. Just maybe give somebody some hope to exactly what is happening in their life and, and just some strength and, and something to lean on and look forward to. Because I, I really hope that as this progresses, that the Lord just uses me to reach out to somebody else. But before we get started today, I would like to start with a prayer, and then we'll just go from there. So Lord, we come to you today, and I come to you today, and I, and I just want to thank you for this, this opportunity to tell my story. And, and Lord, I, I'm asking that you just, just bless me today and anoint me today, Lord. And, and and not let it be me speaking, but instead you speaking through me. And I just ask you for the ability to convey whatever message that is your will to anybody and everybody who needs to hear it, God. So I just ask for, for your anointing from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And may your hope and your grace, and your love pour out through me. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. All right, so where where can we start? I kind of gave you a little background about me in the uh, 
in the very first episode where I where I introduced the podcast and the community here. And um and so let's just build on that a little bit. So like I told you, I'm I'm thirty two. I'm almost thirty three years old. I have a wife, Rebecca, beautiful wife. We've been married almost six years and we have a almost three year old daughter, Lila, beautiful little girl. And you know, I've uh, I've put my wife through a lot with my decisions and my mistakes. And we're going to we're going to break that down here in just a little bit, but to continue on, I'm um I'm a career firefighter for a city in North Carolina. Um I've been with that department for just over 11 years. I started volunteering in the fire service when I was 17 years old. And you know, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do and in high school, I didn't know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. College really wasn't an option for me because I really just slacked off and didn't have good grades. And a friend of mine, he's still a really good friend of mine, but a friend of mine came to me one day and said, hey, I want to join the volunteer fire department. Why don't you come with me? And I was like, yeah, man, cool. Let's do it. You know, like, sure, I'm in. That'll be fun. And so we showed up. And we were both 17 as, as junior firemen, obviously, in North Carolina. Well, there's stipulations. You can be a junior fireman, but there's, there's, you can't do it so much legally when it comes to immediately dangerous to life and health atmospheres and stuff. But you can train and you can, you can participate in some of the training. Some of it you cannot. But we came in as junior firemen. I had some really strong guys just take me under their wing and mold me and shape me. And I fell in love with the fire service. And it was from that moment on that I decided this is what I want to do for my career. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I talked to my parents about it and they weren't very thrilled with the idea at first, but it grew on them to say the least. And I, and I say to this day, had, had I not had the influences and the role models that I had, I don't know what I'd be doing. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't think I would be in the fire service because no one in my family has ever been in the fire service. The first of my generation to be a firefighter. So I, I didn't have any outside influence other than the people that I volunteered with and the people that really just took me under their wing and were just incredible role models to me. They're, they're still incredible role models to this day, and I'm very grateful for them. So as we transition out of high school... I had applied for a local community college's fire academy, and I got accepted, and I went through the academy and got all my certifications that I needed, and then I started looking for jobs, and the only other certification I needed at that time was my uh, EMT certification, which I was working on and struggling with. I finished the academy, I was taking EMT courses, and I was working part-time, and I took some time off, and, and I worked, and and looked for firefighting jobs. And I applied for a few jobs and, and, you know, got turned down. Now, granted, I was also 18, 19 years old at the time. I was still very young. And so I decided after taking about a year off from school after the fire academy that I was going to go back to school. I was going to go to college. I was going to pursue my two-year degree in fire protection technologies. And I did. And so I enrolled back in community college and in fact, it was the same community college that had the fire academy that I went through. I enrolled in their fire science program where I uh, made some really good friends and 
and I completed my two-year degree in, in fire protection technology, as well as I also enrolled in night classes to, to get my EMT certification. And I graduated from college in June of 2012. And then in January of 2013 is when I got hired by the department that I work for now. And I never thought that I would ever end up working for this department. I just didn't see it happening. I didn't even think that was in my realm of possibilities. So now we're going to fast forward. You know, I have my career in the fire service. I met, I met my, my wife, Rebecca. I met her actually while I was in college. Me and her brother went to college together. And me and him just developed this, this really close relationship from the first day. And we became really good friends. And so, of course, you know, I, Rebecca is younger sister. That's how we met. And we ended up, you know, flirting and, and whatever. And, uh, and then it just developed into a relationship. And from very early on in our relationship, I, I did things that, you know, I, I shouldn't do. I, I lied. I talked to other women. And, you know, I, I think it all kind of starts back in my high school years. Um, or maybe it was even in between middle school and high school when I was first exposed to pornography. And, you know, I didn't know what pornography was. My parents never had the pornography talk with me. Of course, I knew, you know, what, what sex was between two adults, and, and, and that's how babies were made and stuff. But I, I didn't know what it was or, or how it was, and I surely didn't know that pornography was a thing. And, um, and so then I was exposed to it at a friend's house, and I can remember all through high school, I mean, just almost, it seemed like every day I was, I was watching pornography. Yeah. I didn't think nothing of it, you know, and and not many people would, I guess, you know, it just seemed like a, a a teenage thing. Oh, he's a teenage boy. It's okay. That's what they all do. This, that, and the other, but not realizing what it was setting me up for, uh, in the future. And from there, you know, even if I was in a relationship in high school, I was still using pornography. Now, relationships weren't very common for me. I was, uh, I guess what you would call, you know, less than desired. Um, I was I was a smaller kid. Um, I know going into high school, I probably weighed between 100 and 115 pounds. And then when I graduated high school, I don't think I weighed more than 140. Um so I was a very small framed kid. I, you know, I got made fun of quite a bit. I was I was never really in with the the popular crowd. So I dealt with the uh, rejection and the you're not good enough and you don't look good enough and, and and I got picked on for my size and and um you know I just you find a way to cope and you and you find a way to move forward and and so I ended up making I ended up making friends of course who you know didn't make me feel that way and so I quickly realized like who my real friends are and then who these fake people were. But I think I always had this, well, I don't think I know, I always had this desire to fit in and to be accepted. But deep down, I was really terrified of rejection and everything like that because I got rejected quite a bit. Like I can remember, you know, after high school, being old enough to go out to, to clubs and bars and still not drink, I'd go with friends and I would never approach 
a girl to dance with her or talk to her or anything because I was so afraid of that rejection. And, um, and I've carried that with me, the, the feeling of being inadequate and not being enough and always having to do something to impress people or please people. I've carried that with me for the better part of my life. And the program that I'm working now and the mental health doctor that I'm talking to on a weekly basis has helped me realize that. So, but, but back to the porn use, you know, I was, I was using the porn every single day, even if I was in a relationship, you know, and, and at one point I was in a, I'll call it a pretty serious relationship, but the girl picked on me because I couldn't last long enough. And that's just like a, a super ego hit right there, right? Like it, it, you get picked on because you can't last very long or whatever, you know, and, and <laughs> That sucked, right? And I laugh about it now because looking back, like it really doesn't matter. But, but it did then. It, it didn't make me feel good, and uh, and so I can remember like I would, I would use porn to try to last longer or whatever, you know. And God knows hindsight is such twenty twenty. Like you look at these things and and it's terrible. It sounds so bad telling the story, but this is really what it was. And um, but it's okay. Like I said vulnerability and honesty. Those are two traits, major traits that I think any man should, should have. And that's what I'm practicing right here. So we had the, the constant cycle of, of porn use and the constant being put down and picked on and made to feel inadequate. Um, just to backtrack a little bit more, uh, my biological father was killed when I was very young, probably one years old. And I, I don't have any memory of him, but I know that he was an alcoholic. I also know that his dad was an alcoholic and those traits can be passed on. So, and, and they obviously were, and not just the alcoholism trait, but just that general trait where someone can fall to addiction and be claimed by addiction so quick and not even realize what's happening to them. Uh, But my mom did uh, remarry uh, to my stepdad, which that will be the only time that I refer to him as my stepdad. He is my dad. He raised me. He provided for me. Um, I, I always tell people, I refer to the Brad Paisley song, you know, I wish I could be half the dad that he didn't have to be. And that is very, very true. And I've always felt like his own son. He's always treated me like his own son. And, and he never let me go without. And he's a very good uh, role model for me, just a very good, genuine man. You know, and, and I had a good childhood as, as far as being at home with my mom and my dad. I've got a sister who's nine years younger than me. Um, but but I'm glad we covered that little bit right there of my biological father and the fact that he was addicted to alcohol and the fact that his dad was addicted to alcohol because now you can see where these addictive traits are coming into play, right? So I'm already addicted to porn and don't even realize it by this time. I'm in a relationship with... Rebecca now and still using porn and still feeling the need to fit in and be wanted and needed, even though I'm in this great relationship with this, this wonderful girl, but I still somehow have this emptiness inside of me to feel desired. So what do I do? Well, I talk to other women. 
you know, I'm, I'm unfaithful. And I wasn't necessarily unfaithful in a sexual way to start off with, but it did develop into that. And this happens all throughout our relationship. I mean, we, I think, let's see, we started dating. When did we start dating? Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think back to the year. Maybe it was 2010, and then we got married in 2018. So we dated for eight years before we got married. And all throughout this eight-year period, I used pornography. I would talk to other women. I eventually had sexual relationships with other women. And every single time, I would feel terrible for it. And, And I would tell myself, this is it. This is it. This is it, right? This is the last time. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this again. But I would still continue down that same cycle with no understanding to why it never once occurred to me that sexual addiction was a thing. Well, then I got shown about um, websites with escorts and erotic massage. And so then I started going down this road, right? And so now the talking to other women and using pornography was not good enough. Now I'm, I'm going to the point of paying for sex and paying for erotic massages. And there was no feel good in that. Maybe, maybe the, the, the acts of finding the provider and contacting and doing all that, maybe that's where the gratification come from. But there was, there was nothing good about the, the physical aspect of it. I didn't feel good about it afterwards. I felt dirty. I, I felt disgusting. But yet I still continued to do it. And I'll never forget, I was, <laughs> I mean, we, we had gotten engaged during all this. And, and of course, all right, we're engaged. We're going to get married. I'm going to marry the woman that I love. And there was no doubt that I, I, I loved my wife, that I loved her. I mean, I, I didn't question that one bit. But I didn't know why I was still doing these terrible things that I was doing. And uh, so we had gotten engaged. And of course, I was like, well, this is it. That's it. No more. Right. No, no more. I'm getting married. I got to put my head on straight. I got to stop doing this stuff. But yet it continued going on even after we got married. And I'll never forget the day that she found out there was a hurricane going on and I was at work and she confronted me. I think I had like left my Google account or something open and the Google tracks all. And so she, she figured out like where I had been, how long I had been there, started asking questions. And of course, what I tried to do, I tried to lie about it. I wasn't going to tell the truth. I, no way. No way was I going to tell the truth. Well, I had to end up telling the truth. And, um, and, and I drove home in a hurricane that day with every intention of saving my marriage. And I did for the time being. You know, and, and looking back, I, I told her what she wanted to hear, what she needed to hear. I was wrong. It wouldn't happen again. I would go get help. I would talk to somebody, this, that, and the other. So I did research and she did research and we found a a therapist that knew this type of stuff and worked with these type of people, sex addicts. Right. But I wasn't a sex addict. No, 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 not me, but I'll I'll talk to this person because maybe they can help me. So I, I gaslighted him and told him everything he wanted to hear and you know, I'd come back and tell my wife that, you know, everything's going good all the while. Not, not 
Now, I will say I did not sleep with any more escorts or do any more erotic massage after that. But all the while, still still using porn. I'm looking at porn on a daily basis. And then you get tired of doing that. And so then, of course, it starts back with the talking to other women, engaging in inappropriate conversation, the need to, to feel desired and wanted. And so that continues on. And I can't tell you how many times I got called. And I can't tell you how much grace my wife extended to me because I gave her every single reason to leave. And she she never did. Fast forward a little bit. We decide we're ready to have a kid. We're, we're ready to, you know, start our own family. And what do I do? This is This is a good reason to stop. This is a good reason to stop, you know, cheating on my wife and having affairs and talking to women and sexual affairs and emotional affairs. This is a great reason. Yeah, right. It was a great reason, but it wasn't the right reason. But I'm trying to reason with myself to find any way to stop doing these behaviors. But yet I, I can't do it because I'm really not ready to change. I might have said I was, but I didn't believe it. I didn't want to change from within. I, I did not want to, to make those changes. But I also knew what needed to be done. I knew that I needed to change. I just wasn't ready to do that. I, I, wasn't, I guess I wasn't ready to give up that part of my life. So while my wife's pregnant, I'm still doing the same stupid stuff, using porn. I'm having emotional and sexual affairs with other women. While my wife was pregnant, too. Like, that's terrible. So then fast forward through the pregnancy, we, we have our little girl. We have Lila. What's that? Another reason for me to stop doing the things that I'm doing. But did I stop? No, 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 no. I didn't. I said this was just a vicious circle. This was just an extremely vicious circle of things. Like I, at one point, I was so unhappy and so miserable in my life. The only thing I thought I could do was was leave, leave my wife and my little girl. And I don't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do, but I thought the only thing that I could do was leave. I thought that would fix everything. You know, I, I knew that I was so broken that maybe if I left that I couldn't hurt them anymore. And and I even like packed my stuff one night while my wife is crying, begging me not to go. I packed my stuff one night and I left and I went to a bar and I sat there and I had me a few drinks thinking about how stupid I am. And then I drove home at like three in the morning. Shouldn't have drove. No, not at all. But I drove home at like three in the morning coming in. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, I don't I don't want to leave. I want to be here with you. I'm sorry. You know, just gaslighting and not telling the full truth and, and not telling my wife the things that I'm struggling with and, and what's going on and the person that I'm really being. I'm just putting on this persona and this mask portraying who I want to be, not who I really am being. So we, you know, we moved through that. This is after we had already tried some couples counseling before that wasn't very successful. I had tried talking to another counselor and she helped a little bit, but I, I just never really took it seriously. And um, so all this just continues. Well, then we're getting to D-Day right now, right? This, this is where everything gets, where my life is about to get turned upside down as if it wasn't already upside down. So one evening, I granted my daughter's two by this time. It was a Friday evening. 
my daughter was going to go stay at my parents' house for the weekend. So I pack her up in the car and I go meet my mom halfway between our house and theirs. And Rebecca had a hair appointment that afternoon, that evening. So when I was getting back to the house, she was leaving and everything seemed normal. And I used to be pretty big into streaming and I had a Twitch channel and I would stream video games from my computer on Twitch. And so I was like, okay, well, she's going out to get her hair done. I'm going to sit back here at my computer. I'm going to do a stream. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do whatever. And I was drinking really heavy by this time. I had I had started drinking and it, and it started like I would buy a six pack and it would last me like more than a weekend. And then over the course of the years, like I remember when we first got married, like I used to hardly drink at all. And then over the course of the years, I was getting where I was drinking at least 18 beers every single night that I was off work. So if I was off work, I could promise you I was going to put down an 18 pack, maybe some bourbon, maybe some wine. It just all depended. But that was every single day that I was off. And so I decided, all right, she's going to get her hair done and I'm going to sit back here and do a stream on my computer and I'm going to drink and I'm going to have fun and she's going to come home and she's going to be another normal night. Well, this was a normal night for me. We would eat, we'd clean up, we'd give our daughter a bath, we'd get our daughter to bed. I would go back to my computer and play games and my wife would either come to sit back there with me or she would sit in the bedroom. And that is what we did on a nightly basis. And I would drink. I would drink myself into oblivion. Looking back at it now, it was a way for me to escape my reality. It was a way for me to escape the person I was. It was a way for me to be somebody completely different. And it was a way for me, the alcohol was a way for me to numb the pain. And it worked. I'm going to tell you right now, it worked for that night. And then the next morning, not only did I wake up with a hangover, I also had to deal with all that shame that I was feeling. It all came back to me. You, you couldn't drink it away. So I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm playing my games and I'm doing my stream. And, you know, I, I hadn't heard from Rebecca and it was getting late and I could just tell something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. So I just abruptly ended my stream, stopped playing my game. And I just had this terrible feeling like everything was about to come crashing down. And I, I did not know what to do, where to go, who to talk to. And so then I get a text message from Rebecca and she's confronting me about some evidence that she had found because when I took our daughter to meet my mom, I left my watch here at the house and she, something just told her to go through my watch and there was everything she needed right there. And so she uh, confronted me with it and I didn't have a clue what to do. You know, I had been talking to a psychologist for about six months at this time, lying to him, telling him what he needed to hear instead of being honest about what I really had going on. And um, I just knew that this was it, right? Everything was about to end. I had screwed up. I was, I was a miserable failure at being a husband, at being a dad, really at life, as being a person altogether. And I did not know what to do. And I decided right then and there, that my only way out to where I was going to fix it for everybody but me was to kill myself. And I had it figured out too. I thought about it. Shooting myself would be too messy. Well, what, what can I do? 
and I had it figured out and, and I'm on the, all my knees in the living room floor, just spinning mentally. And I had figured out, you know what? I can, I can go up in my attic and I can hang myself from the rafters, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And looking back on the story, it wasn't me keeping myself from doing it. It was God because I had a voice in the back of my head and that voice said, give it to me. That little voice that I listened to was God right then, right there when I was not even trying to listen for God. In fact, I was running so far from God, even though he was still right beside me, I was running from him, but I listened to that voice in the back of my head. I listened to God. I did not do it. I uh, ended up getting kicked out of my house that night. I tried to go to work the next day. I could not do it. I could not stay there. Uh, I ended up coming home sick, but I couldn't go home. Where was I supposed to go? Like I had planned on not telling anybody about this. I was going to live in my car. I didn't know what to do. And at this point, Rebecca doesn't even know what reality is anymore, who I am, who she married, if I loved her, if I didn't, how many affairs I had had, how unfaithful I had been. And so, of course, she is just digging, 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 digging. And she had confronted some of these, some of these women. And um, one of them, one of these women, in fact, it was the only one that I uh, had an on and off affair with for multiple years. And she ended up making fake social media profiles with my picture, putting my business out there. Uh, she made fake profiles of women and would message Rebecca and, and, and tell her that, you know, I was engaged to them and I had an apartment and, and a whole nother family. And like, this wasn't, none of that was true, but Rebecca didn't know what to believe. She didn't know what was true and, and what was false. You know, I, I have completely shattered her concept of reality with my unfaithfulness and my lies and my infidelity and my secret life that I tried to carry on for so long. And so when I left work that day, I called my parents and I think Rebecca had already kind of told my parents a little bit about what was going on because they weren't very surprised when I called them. And I had to, I moved back in with my parents. And of course that sucks because, you know, I, I had been on my own for 10 years in my house and now I'm moving back in under my parents' roof and I'm having to tell them why and I'm ashamed of who I am and what I've done. I'm ashamed of who I've become and now I have to share this with my parents. So not only now have I disappointed and let my wife down, I've disappointed and let my parents down, which they would tell me that they weren't disappointed in me. They were disappointed for me. And I 100% understand what they meant by that now. But I had this plan, right? Like I, I knew the, the little voice in the back of my head, you need God. Yep, that little voice was God. I was so convicted. I had started listening to a couple of podcasts. And, you know, I said, I am going to church on Sunday. And I got up and went to church Sunday morning with my mom. And this is the church that I kind of grew up in. And the whole time that Pastor Brian was speaking, I felt like I was the only person in the congregation. He might as well have just been 
having a one-on-one conversation with me. And on average, we have probably anywhere from 170 to 200 people attend Sunday morning service at our church. But I can promise you, I did not notice that there might have been 170 other people in the sanctuary with me listening to the same service and message that I was listening to. No, he might as well have been talking directly to me, having a one-on-one conversation. And that is conviction. That is conviction from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you what, my toes were stepped on that day. And by the end of that service, Pastor Brian did an altar call. And I can't even tell you how I got to the altar. I was sitting on the front row, never sat on the front row in church, ever. But I was sitting on the front row. But I can't even tell you how I got to the altar. God might as well pick me up by my collar and my pants and threw me up there. For all I know, I levitated. But I know one minute I was in that church pew and the next second I was face down at the altar, bawling, crying my eyes out, not even knowing what to pray for, just listening to other people pray for me and just asking God for help and to save my soul and help me save my marriage, to help me be the husband that Rebecca deserved, to help me be the father that Lila deserved to help me be a strong Christian man and a strong leader of my family and protector of my house. And I had always considered myself a Christian, but I ran from God for so long that I forgot what God's love was like. And I don't know that I've ever really experienced God's love the way that I felt it that day and the way that I've felt it since then. But I ended up telling Rebecca everything, coming clean about everything. I mean, just completely rigorously honest, even if I knew it was going to hurt her. And we would, we finally went to, got to a point where we started communicating again. Now granted, I, I lived with my parents for about a month, which doesn't seem like a long time, but to me that was an eternity. And um, Rebecca extended God's grace to me as well as her own grace to me. and. She decided that, you know, we can do this together, but we've got to put God first in our marriage, and we've both agreed to that. But we can get through this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging, but we're going to lean on each other. We're going to be honest. We're going to lean on God, and we're going to get through this together. And in doing that, I uh, I found SAA, or Sex Addicts Anonymous, and I started being completely honest with my psychologist. And I can tell you that those two things right there have been such a tremendous help to me. But the biggest help of all has been my newfound faith in God and reading the Bible, reading in devotionals, discussing devotionals with one of my good friends. Uh, Well, I'm going to call him my best friend. You know, we we talk on the phone almost every night and discuss a daily devotional and just getting in God's word. And I'm I'm not in it nowhere near as much as I should be. And I don't want to portray that like I just spend every waking moment reading the Bible because I don't and I should, but I don't. But from what I have read and what I do read, I mean you just feel so much better when you when you read it. And so I must say that 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 God's word is just the truth. And the Bible the Bible is love. It's full of love. It's a love story. 
But God has been my biggest inspiration through this. And now don't get me wrong, Sex Addicts Anonymous, you know, it's a 12-step program and, and I jumped in feet first and and just hard at it. And I worked steps one, two, and three really, really quick. And I had almost five months of sobriety, which is the longest streak that I had ever gone from, you know, porn or anything, any, anything like that. I had, and I had also quit drinking. Um, and now every once in a while I will drink socially or I'll have a glass of wine with dinner with my wife, but I'm not drinking 18 beers a night anymore. And I can't tell you how much better I feel just from the, the fog from alcohol just being lifted off of me. And, And you don't recognize that you're in that fog until after you get out of it. But I, I experienced almost five months of sobriety from, from compulsive sexual behavior. And then I had a slip out of nowhere. And instead of sticking to my sobriety plan or calling somebody or, or realizing that, you know, I was in my middle circle. And just to explain on that a little bit, our middle circle is, you know, our slippery slope. So we've got three circles. You've got your inner circle behaviors, which are if you act out any one of those behaviors, you've, you've lost your sobriety right then and there. You've got your middle circle behaviors, which are your slippery slope. They more than likely lead to um, your inner circle behaviors. And then you have your outer circle behaviors, which are what you're supposed to stay in. They're healthy things for you to do. Like for me, my outer circle, spending time with my family, cooking, you know, hobbies or anything like that. Just anything that, that you can fill your time with with positive things, going to church, Bible study, you know, surrounding yourself with good people, hanging out with good friends, having good influences and good role models in your life, just any of that. But I had gone through a stressful time where I was worried about finances, where I was worried about my health, where I was worried about other things. And, and so I, I, I started to slip back into that middle circle and look for ways to cope with those stresses. And then before I knew it, I had lost my sobriety. Well, my wife found out. And what did I do? I lied about it. So not only did I act out with one of my inner circle behaviors, I then turned around and lied about it. When I had told myself and told my wife and told other people that, that I was going to be honest from here on out, which this is just a, a very strong, see what word am I looking for here? A very strong reminder that it doesn't matter how long you've been sober from anything that the addict in you and the part of your personality that allows you to to be addicted to something or depend on something else to make you happy is still very strong in there. And you have to be aware of that at all times and you have to be very self-aware of what kind of situations you're putting yourself in so that you can not allow yourself to try to self-medicate or cope with things in your old way. And that's really hard to do because you've done it for so long. And now you're trying to completely reverse that and do things completely different. And habits are hard to break. But I lied about it. But in the middle of my lie about it, I realized, why are you doing this? Why are you lying? Just tell the truth. And so then I came clean. And this this right here, what I'm talking about right now, was about a month ago. 
And so then it almost feels like we have to restart from square one, right? Like I, I lied, I was being honest, and then I lied. So then what else have I lied about? And it just brought up a bunch of triggering things for my wife. And so we've had to navigate this again. And it's just been a very, it's a very difficult process. It's a very hard process. Changing is a very hard process. No matter what, no matter what you're changing, change is hard. Now, to try to change to be a better person, whoa, because you have to undo years of behaviors, years of stuff that you taught yourself, years of bad skill, and now you're trying to undo all of that. But I will say that SAA is such a strong program because instead of isolating and pushing people away and being ashamed of who I was, that program showed me love. It showed me compassion. It showed me empathy. But most importantly, it showed me that I was not alone. And it showed me that God can do all of these things if you have faith and rely on Him. Let go and let God is completely real, and it's hard to do. But that's, that's where I'm at in my recovery right now. I've started to work step four. I have kind of come to a lull on step four because step four is very hard. And that's something that we can talk about uh, in a later episode. We can definitely talk about the steps and what they mean. I want to share that with the community as well. But I really wanted to, in this episode, I, I wanted to share my struggles and my story from what I was doing to where I was at, to my thoughts of killing myself, because I thought that was the only way out, to where I am now. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I am here because of God, and all the glory goes to Him. So maybe you ask yourself, or maybe you're sitting there saying, cool story, bro. What what in the world does this have to do with manhood? And what I can tell you is every virtue that I just explained to you, and, and I'm not even going to call them virtues because they were bad, but, but everything that I went through from lying and dishonesty to alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, sexual addiction, infidelity, you know, being manipulating and gaslighting, every bit of that is not good characters that a man should possess. In fact, they're the complete opposite. Running from God. You cannot be a strong man and a leader in this world, especially in today's society, if you're going to run from God. It's just not going to happen. So everything that I just explained to you were the attributes that I'm, I'm going to call it a boy. I was behaving like a boy. But everything that I was explaining to you are, are attributes that a boy has. They are not attributes that make up an honorable man, a strong man. But the attributes that I have shown that every strong man should have, I was vulnerable by telling the story. I was honest. I faced my fears and I faced my past head on. And my past is not something that I regret, nor do I wish to shut the door on it because I've learned so much from it. I've learned who I should not be and I've learned what I need to change and the steps that I need to take to get there. And trust me, friends, trust me, it is hard. The mistakes that I've made, the, the, it's all hard. Trying to make these changes is difficult in and of itself, but it's okay. Because, and I learned this 
from SAA, you want progress. You don't have to achieve perfection right away. And to be honest, we will probably never achieve perfection, but we will always try to make progress towards it. So what I do want to tell you as a man is that you're not alone. If this is something you struggle with, you're not alone. If you have other struggles that don't relate to any of this, you're not alone. And it is okay. It's okay to struggle. And it's okay to admit that you have challenges and struggles that you must overcome. Because that is part of being a man. Not pretending like everything's okay when really and truly it's not. But being open, being honest, embracing the suck, embracing your feelings and your emotions, and learning how to cope with those and what to do and how to be a better person. That is what being a man is. Facing your fears and standing up for what is right and what you believe and doing whatever, whatever it takes to be that person. Which I can tell you that if if you put Christ and God at the center of your life and you have them as your foundation, you're already off to a wonderful, wonderful start. But like I said, I'm here to tell this story with all glory going to God because there was a chance that I wouldn't have been. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your time. Stay strong. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, it means a lot to me because I'm hoping this develops into a community for men, by men. If you like the episode and you like the podcast, please feel free to subscribe and get notifications for when I do upload a new episode. And always feel free to drop a comment, um, you know, and I'll try to respond to it. But until next time, stay strong and we'll see you then. Thank you.